0: This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Players for Netball Australia have spoken out, expressing concerns with wearing the logo of mining company Hancock prospecting on their uniform. But netball isn't the only sport to make headlines recently relating to claims of sports washing. The Socceroos issued a statement this week about human rights abuses in Qatar, ahead of the World Cup next month. And Pat Cummings says he will no longer appear in ads for cricket sponsor, Alinta Energy. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Deputy News Editor, Joe Tovey, about the politics of sport, player power, and sports washing. It's Friday, the 28th of October. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Gabs. So, Lenore, the Australian netball team has been in the news this week a lot for non-sporting reasons. What's been going on?
1: Okay, so Hancock Prospecting, that is Gina Reinhart's mining mega company, which sponsors a lot of sport, did a $15 million sponsorship deal with Netball Australia, which I think was a transformative deal for the elite level of that sport.
0: Why was this a problem for the playing group?
1: It wasn't a problem for the playing group. It is a problem for Danelle Wallum, only the second
0: Indigenous woman.
1: One of the players for the Diamonds, an Indigenous player called Danelle Wallam, who's a Noongar woman, only the third First Nations player in the Diamonds' 95-year history, is believed to have sought an exemption from wearing Hancock prospecting on her sporting outfit.
2: Wollum has found herself at the centre of one of sport's most fiercely divisive
1: stories of 2022.
2: You know, the whole athletes versus sponsors thing.
1: And it is believed, although I don't think she's ever said this precisely, that it's because of some particularly abhorrent things that Gina Reinhart's father Lang Hancock, said about First Nations people. This plays out. She's sought an exemption. The Diamonds players back her. They're trying to work it out, work out what to do about this. When Hancock Prospecting then pulled the sponsorship. The
0: drama surrounding Netball Australia is rivalling any sporting contest. A player revolt forced Netball Australia to cancel a corporate sponsorship deal that would have dug the organisation out of debt
1: and issued a statement which said, among other things, that it was unnecessary for sports organisations to be used as the vehicle for social or political causes, which is kind of galling. I mean, Gina Reinhardt's never said whether she supports her father's views, but it's introducing this idea that sports players have no right to social or political views. Even when it comes to logos, they wear on their own bodies Mm. as human billboards, coming from a woman who uses her enormous wealth to express her social and political views all the time, like funding climate denial think tanks and making videos for her old school questioning climate change and campaigning against mining taxes that she would have had to pay. So this was a febrile environment for political debate. So a lot of athletes seem to be
0: finding their voices and speaking up for their values in recent times. Why is this happening
2: now? So as well as the netball this week, we had the Socceroos come out and become the first side playing at the FIFA World Cup to put out a public statement in protest of Qatar's human rights record. Through football, those of us have had the honour to represent our country, have had the opportunity to learn about the world. And its people. That comes after a lot of pressure on the, the team people. to say something. This must include establishing a migrant resource centre, effective remedy for those who have been denied their rights, and the decriminalisation of all same-sex relationships. We'd seen other international teams like Denmark indicate that they would be undertaking some form of protest, but the Socceroos really got out ahead of everyone else in the tournament in putting out a really strong statement this week. And I think what we're seeing here and around the world is a sort of a new degree of assertiveness among a new generation of athletes and sports stars who don't just see their role as on the field, who see themselves as ambassadors, who don't want to leave their values and their beliefs behind and are either using social media or or other forms of communication to speak out. Lenore, why
1: do companies sponsor sport? Well, advertising pays for sports. So sport accepts advertising because they need the money and advertising pays for lots of things. I mean, about 30% of this news website is paid for by advertising and I have to think about the ethics of that all the time. We Mm. don't take fossil fuel ads, for example, but you have to check the veracity of claims and you have to think about what ads you're taking. With sports advertisers, they often want the halo effect of associating themselves with with heroes, with sporting heroes and sports that people love because they want to buy social licence effectively. And that means the ones who are probably willing to pay the biggest bucks for social licence are the ones whose social licence is closest to the edge of the cliff, if you like. You know, back in the day, Benson and Hedges used to sponsor the cricket and, I mean, I think tobacco still sponsored Formula One until relatively recently. So I guess the closer an industry is to losing its social licence, the more... They're going to want to pay a lot of money to have the halo effect of sport. So fossil fuel companies are clearly sort of in that position at the moment, which is probably why I think there was research this week that said that there was about 14 to 18 million dollars a year spent by fossil fuel companies sponsoring Australian sport you know but it's not just fossil fuel companies until recently Huawei the Chinese telco company sponsored the Canberra Raiders which is like that's a brilliant move by Huawei right like they've got all this sort of political pressure because of you know association with the Chinese administration then every senior public servant and every politician that goes to a corporate box for the Raiders sees Huawei's name next to their their team. That means it's a a moral question for sporting codes, whose money they take. And I think there's that question and it kind of intersects with what Joe was just saying about then at the same time sporting codes have to cope with the fact that players are becoming more vocal and more willing to express a view which is what happened with Hancock prospecting.
2: And I think on that halo effect what's so interesting is you've seen in the pushback against a lot of these athletes who've been really outspoken particularly about progressive causes you see either from whether it's Hancock or whether it's figures in maybe the more conservative press people saying to leave politics out of sport mm. that just stick to sport, just stick to playing. We don't want to hear from you. You know, we don't want to hear this kind of woke stuff. When the very reason, of course, that these companies or countries like Qatar get into sport in the first place is because they know that sport is a very effective vehicle for politics, for reputations, for corporate interests. That's why they're there. They're not there out of the goodness of their own heart. They're there because they're trying to influence not just sporting fans, but political and sort of social movements more generally. So then to say to athletes, well, don't bring politics into it. I mean, athletes are being drawn into politics. As Lenore said, they have to wear the billboard on their body. They are being asked to do that. And it Mm. should be noted that Danelle Wallum, she wasn't outspoken about this. This was something Mm -hmm. that she clearly felt very strongly and raised behind closed doors. And her team, in what I think is a really kind of beautiful gesture of solidarity hasn't been much spoken about, but the fact that they all supported her privately and rallied around her and tried to come to some kind of agreement over the branding of their uniforms, you know, she wasn't seeking the spotlight. She wasn't out there on a soapbox, but she wasn't going to do something that she felt would be a betrayal of her own values, potentially a betrayal of her own culture. Athletes are being put in a very difficult position here and to stay out of politics isn't really an option. And
0: how much say should these companies who are giving their money to sport have over what those sports and the sports people involved in the sports can say
1: or do? Well, I mean, I think this is where we get into really murky territory because once you've taken a shed load of money for someone in a sponsorship, what kind of soft power do they exercise? What kind of pressure can they Exert, what kind of independence does the sporting body still have? And what kind of pressure will the sporting body put on players in order to keep the sponsor happy? And all of that, as Joe says, usually happens behind closed doors. We don't see a lot of that. Um it was interesting this week that one of the an ABC journalists raised a bunch of questions about whether Hancock prospecting had sought to exercise influence in other ways over sports that that company sponsors. Now, I have no evidence that they have, to be clear, but I think that question around Hancock Prospecting or any other company that sponsors a sport is really interesting. What power do they exercise and what are the rules governing that? What are the contracts? What are the What are the provisions? I think it's really something that sporting bodies should probably be really transparent about as they try to navigate this.
2: Yeah, and potentially bringing players in on conversations early in the piece because, you know, you don't want to get to a situation further down the road where you ink a deal, you promise certain things and then the players are not willing to go along with it, which is where a lot of kind of very now controversial spats like the Hancock one where it sort of exploded into public view. The onus is really now on sporting bodies to think a lot more clearly earlier open up those lines of communications and try to head these issues off before they happen. I don't think they can expect that players will stay quiet about this stuff anymore. And
0: it puts players in a really difficult situation sometimes, doesn't it? I was thinking about Pat Cummins and he's been part of this Cricket for Climate Change action Mm. group, but the International Cricket Board has signed a deal with a huge Saudi oil producer. So,
1: and there's also the deal with Alinta Energy as well. Mm. Yeah, and it puts him in a really difficult situation. He's saying he won't feature in any promotional material for Alinta Energy, but they've now ended their deal with Cricket Australia. The governing body says there's no connection between those mm. two things, and maybe there is, maybe there is, and I don't know. But it is a, a case study, if you like, of a player's views contradicting the decisions that have been made by the governing body, and that's really tough.
0: How are these kinds of issues affecting our sports coverage?
1: I mean, we always have to cover sport as sport and people want to read about it as sport. But where these are live issues in a particular sport, either because of the overall sponsor or because of views of particular players, I think we have to bring it up. I mean, it is part of the discussion now. It's part of the conversation. We can't kind of brush it aside and just, you know, let sport be sport. Sport is becoming political. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it would be really interesting to see how journalists cover the, upcoming World Cup. You know, obviously there'll be a huge amount of excitement around the games, but journalists will also be in Qatar reporting on the conditions there, reporting on ongoing protests. It's going to be a World Cup quite different Mm. to others in recent memory. Yeah, The Guardian did reveal
0: that six and a half thousand migrant workers died in the building of those stadiums. So I guess the journalists who are there covering it will be having one eye on the football and one eye
2: on the human rights Mm. issue. The other aspect of media coverage with these events, of course, is that sports stars are being increasingly drawn into kind of media culture wars that they may not want to be part of. Like the Australian netball team was subjected to some pretty horrendous commentary earlier this week over their stance and, again, a stance that was taken quite discreetly and privately, nonetheless, on social media and in some parts of the mainstream media, there was pretty savage commentary.
1: What about this drama between the Diamonds netball team and
0: Gina Hancock? It's getting absurd, isn't it? Self-centred virtue signalling their woke carry-on has just cost Netball $15 million.
2: There was a hashtag, go woke, go broke, people sort of gleefully suggesting they would lose all their sponsors, you know, really horrible stuff. And then we rang all the the other sponsors and they went,
1: no, no, we're fine. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, but people seem to almost be willing that to happen as Mm. some sort of punishment. I think it's worth noting, though, that on Wednesday night, not only did Australia triumph in the netball, but Donnell Wallum scored the final goal.
1: She finds proud Wallum to win it for Australia. Could you have written that if you tried, Donnell Wallum on debut?
2: which was just such a beautiful moment. And while she didn't speak out on the controversy, she did kind of allude to it, saying that it had been hard to sort of get past the outside noise from this week. She said, I was relieved to finally get my chance on court. It's been some of the toughest few weeks of my life. But she really answered her critics, I think, on the court there, and it was just such a lovely moment. Next, finding humour in grief
0: and a new addiction.
2: Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Joe, what was it for you this week? Well, mine's a really sad one this week, actually. So the comedian Rob Delaney, um, who's the star of Catastrophe, one of my favourite shows. Oh, mine too. has been Yeah, he's been touring his uh, book at the moment, um, Heart That Works, which is a memoir about losing his son, Henry, to brain cancer which by all accounts seems like a really sort of tragicomic account of a family losing their child. Um, And he did a really brilliant interview with The Guardian three days ago where he, he kind of just talked in a very real way about what grief does to a family, opening up about the sort of horror and the tragedy and the sort of the beauty and togetherness of his family. And there was one moment particularly that sort of summed that up for me where when they were grappling with the idea that the you know their child had been diagnosed with this terrible tumor his father-in-law came to him and said you know gosh I'm so sorry I you know I wish it were me and he turned to him and said yes Richard we all do <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's such a Rob delayed um, <laughs> way Perfect. of looking at things yeah
1: wonderful. Yeah. and Lenore what about you I was really struck by a story by Melissa Davy, our medical editor, about the enormous incidence of vaping and the fact that for the first time in the history of Quitline, teenagers as young as 13 are contacting the service for help because they're addicted to vaping. And it just really brought home to me the incredibly frustrating situation where The tobacco industry, as we were discussing earlier, had basically lost its social license and um, the incidence of smoking was really decreasing. And then, by sort of holding on to the thread that vaping might help some people quit smoking, have engineered a situation where vaping levels are really rising, where it's just rife among teenagers, but not just teenagers, and where they're sort of almost regaining social license and acceptability through a different product. I thought it was just really, really shocking.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannan. The executive producers are me, Gabrielle Jackson, and Miles Martignoni. Laura Mofiotz will be back with you on Monday. We'll see you then.